that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there. M-L. It's the question that drives us. What is Red Shovel Network? The Red Shovel Network is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, ML. Sean Windsor is a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Welcome to the Soul Detroit. You ass in a rag in Detroit, you're out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Alan? Hey kids, it's your old pal ML Elric, and because of today's special guest, we had more of a TV deadline than a newspaper deadline for our start, and we still blew it. We're still late, so we we apologize, but uh, it wasn't Mark Fellhauer's fault this week. It wasn't Sean Windsor's fault. It was just uh, it was just the Gremlins. It was just not meant to be. But we have a very special guest. I'm very excited to welcome one of the preeminent newsmen in Detroit history. He's inspired movies. He's written books. He's been featured in popular music. But today, his career has reached a pinnacle. He is now the featured guest on ML's Soul of Detroit. Before we get to that, though, this is the one thing I learned in TV. you got to tease folks, and nobody teased people better than Channel 4. And even though I wasn't there that long, I learned that much. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors who make this show possible, and that's Royal Brian Ford. My mom bought a red Ford Focus wagon there yesterday. It's fire engine red because my mom is still groovy, and at 111,000 miles later, she is still a satisfied customer. She was at the kickoff for my city council campaign yesterday. She did not bring the wooden spoon, but once again, I heard from people, you know, when I look at your family and I think of how much talent there is, I'm surprised how much of it is in your mother and how little of it is in you. (laughs) And so... uh, So I guess that's why I'm getting into politics. But anyways, my mom is not alone. Royal Brian has been taking care of customers for 75 years from the corner of Nine Mile and Mac. If you don't want to go there in person, go to royalbrian.com. That's R-O-Y-O-B-R-I-N.com. Check out Fast Track, which lets you choose your vehicle and options. But that's not all. You can pick your deal, lease, finance, or cash, get the value of your trade-in, apply for financing, and schedule delivery of your new ride. To learn more, visit royalbrian.com or call 888 Five six six five eight five one, and be sure to tell them that ML's mother's son sent you. And now, first time ever, we are so excited to have this guest. This is the first time we've ever had a guest that has his own theme music. Not happy with the production on that. So if he hasn't thought better of it, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) 
Mort Krim. Mort, thanks for joining us. It's a it's a real honor to have you here. Uh, all the time I spent at Channel 4, they said, uh, you know, uh, when we think of Mort Krim, we never ever think of you. And I said, <laughs> um, Mort thanks you. <laughs> so, Mort, it's great to have you. Well, I want to thank you for that introductory music. Uh, it took us about a year to assemble that orchestra and uh, to get the Mormon Tabernacle Tabernacle Choir to participate with it was uh, quite an achievement, probably one of the greatest achievements of my career. Well, and people may not know this, um, but they will if they pick up your new book, uh, which is uh, which is everything I've read about it is outstanding. It's called Anchored, A Journalist's Search for Truth. You are a very talented musician, and I saw some pictures of a young Morton Krim at the keyboard, and it looked like uh, it looked like you would have felt uh, very comfortable in the Cotton Club or in any uh, honky tonk tickling those eighty eights. You know, I helped pay my way through college by playing the uh, organ at a skating rink. I don't know if you remember when they they had an organist at <laughs> skating rinks, and then I did a little weekend piano work too. Well, it's uh, it's it's a great book. There's a lot of terrific stories in there. Um, they the uh, Free Press first broke the news this this weekend about the book, and uh, it talks about your start. Uh, may have been a preacher man at one point, uh, became an anchor man, um, had a uh, a, uh, a dalliance with a another famous anchor, and then talking a little bit about your uh, your role as the inspiration. For Ron Burgundy and beyond, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, obsess about the the uh, the purient parts. But uh, had you ever told the Jessica Savage story before? Is that a revelation in this book? No, I have not, and uh, I, I would not have revealed that uh, when any of the uh, any of the principals, including my late wife, uh, were still alive. Um, I debated a long time, uh, actually for over a year, whether to include that story, that revelation. And it was finally my children who convinced me that I should. They said, Dad, that was, a, uh, that was an emotional and significant part of your life, your years in Philadelphia. Uh, it threw me into a deep depression. Uh, the fact that I recognized I was doing something that was uh, contrary to my own uh, moral beliefs and convictions, and it did have a, uh, a, a very dramatic impact upon my life and, and uh, upon my future from, the, from that time on. So my, uh, both my son and my daughter said, Dad, if you're going to tell an honest story, you've got to include about the, 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 the beginnings of your life in a very conservative, religious, strict upbringing and how you begin to challenge those beliefs and uh, your journey toward your own faith that wasn't something handed down to you by your parents or simply reinforced by the church and the culture you grew up in had to be yours. And if you're going to be honest, you got to be honest about all of it. Uh, all those things that had a, an impact on your life and made you who you are today. So it was not, uh, it was not an easy decision. And several times I took it out of the book and then I would put it back in and I finally decided the, the story of my life, the memoir, particularly the underlying theme of searching for truth, is not going to be complete unless I include that episode. 
Well, I'm glad that it's in there in the proper context. I read Ben Bradley's autobiography as as someone who's a newspaper journalist at heart. I was really looking forward to it. And Ben Bradley's autobiography, while it had many amazing stories and, and some fascinating anecdotes, in some ways read like Ben Bradley's little black book. And I really thought it diminished from his overall impact on journalist and as a na- journalism and as a national figure. It was almost like a, a score sheet. But but I I think you've always been someone who people felt was straight with them that they could trust you and that uh, and that you've lived a full and and very human life as opposed to someone who was some sort of alabaster saint or perhaps uh, you know above uh, the temptation and the uh, the foibles that those of us on the other side of the glass have um, so so I'm I'm glad to see that that's, that's something that, uh, that plays a role, but it's, it's just part of your story, and it's, uh, it's quite an extraordinary story. One of the uh, things that, uh, that I think I was able to, uh, to make clear in the episode you're talking about is that I had a moral arrogance. I had a higher view of myself than I should have. I didn't think I was capable of making that kind of a misstep uh, that kind of a uh, betrayal of my marriage. Didn't think I could do that. And it's very humbling when you recognize that, uh, you know, we're all sinners. We all uh, limp along trying to do our best, and sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we fail. And uh, I think that uh, the redemption, the, the, the forgiveness, the love, the grace that I had from my wife uh, was all a major part of that story, and the story wouldn't have been complete without that. So tell us a little bit about what compelled you to write this book and and what that process was like. I mean, obviously, you've had a a long and successful career. You could have written a fascinating book that went on for thousands and thousands of pages, but at some point, you have to be mindful of a reader's attention span. How did you make those decisions about what goes in, what goes out, and, and what was that process like? Because Every time I talk to somebody, they're always like, I've got a book in me, but you had one in you and now it's out. Well, I will tell you, it was a five-year process and I didn't, uh, that was a surprise to me because when I started, I thought, you know, I'll assemble the interesting stories from my uh, history uh, professionally and personally, and uh, I'll tell the story of my life. And it, it may take me three to five months to do that. And as I started digging into it, uh, first of all, I, I finished the book in three years. And I sent the manuscript to my uh, uh, agent in New York, uh, Susanna Einstein. And an interesting thing happened because as I was writing the book, and it was really going to be a book about my career, and it was all sparked because of the, the Will Ferrell thing. And when Will Ferrell said, uh, you know, you, I based this on the real anchor man, Mort Krim. Uh, all of my friends and family said, well, you've got to write the real story. I mean, Will's given you an opening. You've got a lot of publicity out there on this. Tell what the real anchorman's life was like, and you've automatically got a peg to hang it on. So that was the way I started to do it. But I found out that every so often, uh, my personal struggle with faith, my personal struggle with the big questions, what is it all about? Is there any meaning to life other than what we interject into it? Um, this journey kept popping up in in little ways in the story. Well, I sent the script to uh, the manuscript to my aide to my agent in New York, and she called and she said, "Mort, you know I'm Jewish." And I said, "Yes, I do." 
She said, I never thought I would say this to anybody, but I'm going to say it to you. Your book needs more Jesus. <laughs> well, I understood what she was saying. She was saying, you're, you're letting little bits of your spiritual struggle and your journey pop up, but that needs to be a dominant theme of the book. So I went back thinking, okay, I can correct it. I can, I can interject more of my faith struggle and more of my, the questions I have about God and reality and, and what's true and what's not. But that didn't work. And that took me about a year and I read it and it was kind of a, it was choppy. It didn't, it didn't run smooth like a narrative. So I literally went back and took another year, uh, used a lot of the material, of course, that I'd already written, but to rewrite the book with that uh, subtext or that underlying theme of a journalist who is on a search for not just the facts as they relate to a story or stories, but on a search for the big answer to the big questions, the cosmic questions. What is life all about? Why are we here? Is there any meaning to it all? And so when I finished that and sent it to her, she said, now we have a book. She said, this, this is the story that you were meant to tell. The other underlying uh, theme in the life, too, is how Paul Harvey popped up because you were struggling with that um, in your early life, the whole religious aspect. And um, you wrote to Paul Harvey, and then you fast forward, and you end up filling in for him. But the interesting thing is you had lunch with him and his wife, Angel Harvey, and mm -hmm. she asked you a question about the Bible, and she didn't like your answer. And that was, that was the end of you filling in for Paul Harvey? Yeah, um, Angel, his wife, was uh, a very strong person, and uh, he relied a lot on her. In fact, he referred to her on the air as his executive producer. I guess so. And I think in many ways she was. Um, I had filled in for him for the better part of five years and, and thought it was going well, although politically and philosophically and theologically, I was a lot more liberal uh, than Paul Harvey. And he had told me early on, he said, Mark, when, when I'm away, the microphone is yours. I don't expect you to uh, express my viewpoints when you're doing commentary, when you're doing analysis. He said, feel free. Unfortunately, nobody told, told his audience. Told, no one told Angel and, either. And, and nobody told Lynn or Angel, his wife. Um, so uh, toward the end of my contract uh, with ABC uh, and with the Harveys, uh, they invited us to Chicago for lunch. And I was still flying actively at that time. And Miggs Field was open in downtown Chicago, great place to land a private plane. So my wife and I got in the plane, flew over. Harvey sent their uh, limousine and their driver to pick us up at the airport and deliver us to the Drake Hotel to the, I've forgotten the name of the restaurant there, but it was a very, you know, where the waiters had napkins over their arms and they all spoke with French accents. It was that kind of a club. And uh, we were ushered to the table. The Harveys were already there. And we ex exchanged a few normal pleasantries, but it wasn't very long until Angel, who was quite conservative and quite fundamentalist in her religion, I discovered. And uh, I had recently taken a position against the uh, ABM treaty, uh, uh, or, or for the treaty, and against putting our missiles in Europe, which I thought was would have been provocative for the Russians and would not be a step toward disarmament or toward peace. And uh, Reagan had a much different point of view, and Angel was very much in alignment with Reagan's point of view. So she said, uh, just out of the blue, she said, Mort, why are you against uh, putting our missiles in Europe? 
And I said, well, I think it moves us uh, closer to uh, an Armageddon. I said, I, I'm, I'm looking for ways to back us away from the brink, not get us closer to it. She said, do you believe the Bible? And I, I, that was a very difficult question for me because, <laughs> yeah. as you know from reading my book, I have a, a very liberal interpretation of, of Scripture. I, I read it. I benefit from it, but I don't take uh, an awful lot of it literally. And I said, well, Angel, I, I read the Bible. And she said, well, you read prophecy? I said, I've read prophecy. She said, well, the Bible prophesies that the world's going to go up in a nuclear, in a holocaust. And she said, we assume that's going to be nuclear. So who are we to stand in the way of prophecy? <laughs> I found that astounding. Yeah. What was Paul Harvey doing I, while, uh, while she he was, he was sitting quietly listening. Oh boy. And I discovered that whenever Angel and Paul were together, and I'd been with him in other <laughs> social situations, that uh, she pretty much did the talking. Oh. But um, as we left, and of course, we didn't discuss anything about the luncheon. Um, oh, I, I, I climaxed that by saying, Angel, <clears throat> my job as a Christian is to make peace. Uh, my job is not to interpret prophecy or be concerned with what what the prophecies are, but my, my job as a Christian is to live out the mandate of Jesus, which is to be a peacemaker. And uh, so we didn't talk in the car because obviously <laughs> Paul's driver was taking us back to the airport. But when we, as we're walking from the car on the tarmac out to our airplane, uh, Nikki, my wife, my late wife, she said, I hate to tell you, but your career with Paul Harvey is over. And I said, no, I said, just because of a conversation, she said, no, you challenged Angel, and you did it in front of Paul. Oh, God. And I was scheduled to go on the air, um, I think, to fill in for him in another, certainly within a month. Well, he canceled that vacation and did not take another time away from the microphone until my contract expired. Wow. And, uh, but as I say in the book, uh, sometimes what seems like the worst thing that can happen ultimately is the best. Uh, I had been told that I was going to be in line then to succeed Paul when he finally retired. Well, he never did retire. He died at, uh, I believe he was 92 and he was still broadcasting and I was in my seventies by that time. So uh, by, by being released from that contract, I went on to create second thoughts, which became a successful syndicated feature over 1300 radio stations uh, that I never would have done had I stayed in line to replace a man that never did retire. So sometimes the worst thing, Turns out to be the best. And now we know the rest of the story. Oh, so you went there. See, I, I thought, ML, he's too he obvious. I thought at least Paul should have bid you a, a good day. A good day. Yeah. <laughs> and when I, you were leaving. Um, I'm sorry. And a stop we, by we True Value Hardware, right? At, uh, the, uh, um, there was a national radio uh, convention every year in Chicago at the, at the radio museum there. Yeah. And it was a black tie event. And we always went, and Paul and Angel were always there. And when we met at the next uh, meeting of that event, uh, it was as though nothing happened. He was gracious. He was friendly. In fact, the two of us got on the elevator with some other people, and he turned to them and he said, you really think there's room on this elevator for Mort Krim and Paul Harvey? And he laughed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was very strange. It remains a bit puzzling to me to this day. Well, I, I hope he, uh, on some level, was glad that Angel was wrong about the impending Holocaust because it would have really screwed up this podcast. <laughs> it would. 
relative. I mean, oh, listen. Yeah, the pulse alone would have jacked up our internet signal. So, uh, so there's something to be thankful for. Um, second thoughts was was one of the uh, one of the great things that you did. Um, I think after leaving the anchor desk, right? Or were you doing that simultaneously? I was doing it simultaneously, but we expanded it, and of course, then I was able to devote uh, an awful lot more time to it. Uh, but I did uh, second thoughts, actually, a television version on WDIV last couple of years that I was there. Okay, and and I, I want to. So we we've referenced obviously to- memorable, obviously memorable <laughs> because you didn't remember it. Well, you know, I I, uh, I don't think I was in Detroit at that time, but I do I do uh, I was wondering if I should ask you if you remember this because it's really unfair to ask people if they remember folks uh, from way back when, but. I, yeah, think I, don't, the, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yeah. this morning, but try me. Well, I think at the time that you were doing that at WDIV, uh, Teresa Baldus was a news writer there. I don't know if you remember her from the early 1990s, but she would tell me how she would come in and write the morning show. And uh, you would probably be, um, if you were staying late, she would be crashed on the couch in your office and you'd have to say, Teresa, you have to vacate my office and get back to work. Uh, she's kind of a... She's kind of a derelict, and I, I say that as, <laughs> as someone who's been married to her for over 20 years. But um, but we can edit right. this if you want to say something like, Teresa was one of the most valued news writer in WDIV history. We'll make it sound good. She doesn't watch the Facebook Live broadcast. Well, I think without a doubt. Uh, she went on to get a Pulitzer, didn't she? I, I remember uh she's she had a brush with the pulitzer let's just say that she was she was nominated with the pulitzer uh people who are rude would say she's had a pulitzer in her but she's she may yet win that prize because she's very good she actually is uh the 2020 michigan journalist of the year so uh so she's she's a reporter at the free press now and has done done pretty well though her choice in the men is is highly questionable uh to this day well, I'll have to do the politically correct thing here and say no comment. Yes, no, we'll we'll move on. Um, and if she shows up in your next book, Krim, I'm coming for you. So let's just uh, let's let's stick with the current book. Um, but gi- given your your uh, your um, your standing in popular culture, I wanted to ask you what is the cooler thing to uh, to have been a Paul Harvey uh, substitute to have your own syndicated series. To have been the inspiration for Ron Burgundy, to be featured on Detroiters, or to be sampled in the White Stripes Little Acorns. Oh, it'd be hard to hard to pick out. I think the Little Acorns uh, on, on the uh, Elephant album uh, probably was the one thing that uh, got me known within a younger uh, set of people, a younger culture than uh, ever would have known who I was or cared. Uh, I remember one time shortly after that album came out, we we were living on Amelia Island in the, here in Florida near Jacksonville, and we went into a diner, and our minister and his wife were there, and their twelve year old son, and the minister introduced me to the son because he said the son was just crazy about the Elephant album, and uh, our minister said he doesn't care what else you've done or where else you've gone or you know about your broadcast career doesn't mean anything but he's very excited and i gave him an autograph strictly based on that album well you seem to have faith pop up a lot in your life between angel and your upbringing and these ministers showing up on emily island to uh to i mean is somebody trying to reach out to you are these are these people trying to uh somehow break through well i will tell you this um 
I consider myself a person of faith. I'm not very religious. Uh, I have a lot of problems with religion because I think religion can be divisive and the kind of faith that I have is inclusive. Um, I do believe the Bible uh, statement that God is love. And to me, that's about as much as you can say about this creative force that is behind everything. As, as Einstein said, he said, I believe that there is something mysterious behind it all. And he said, that's my religion. But I think so many religions break down to formulas and a dividing line between those who are in, those who are out, those who are saved, those who are lost. Um, I don't adhere to that kind of religion. I consider myself a follower of Jesus, who I think was, was one of the most inclusive people ever to walk the earth. Um, and, and his invitation was to everybody, uh, specifically to the, to the, those who had been left out of society, the, the marginalized, the poor, the, uh, those who were considered, uh, even criminal, the prostitutes, uh, that's, that's my faith. And I don't have a lot of tolerance for the exclusionary kinds of faith that divide people into who's in and who's out. I, I recently heard uh, uh, something that was attributed to Blaise Pascal, and I'm going to mangle, but I thought it really it really hit it, um, which is uh, you're better off in believing in Pascal's wager. Yeah, that you're you're better in believing that all of what we hear is true than not believing it, and living your life by just no guidelines, by no faith, by no nothing. So if you're wrong you can place a wager on being wrong and, uh, and really contribute to society as opposed to just being a hedonistic person who just says, well, it's, you know, nobody's proven it to me. So I'm just going to do my thing. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you uh, before Mark jumps in is about, uh, the white stripes, the interaction with white stripes. How did that work? I mean, I imagine you didn't just hear your voice in their song. They must've had to do something to get the rights or it's, it's quite a long, sample but what was that process like and what did you think when it's like who is this guy dressed up like a peppermint stick who uh, wants to put me on an album it's an interesting story and it's also in the book uh, back under epilogue the the, the the memoir itself covers my career up through the end of television when i retired from uh, wdiv in 65 that's that's the memoir but then i have an epilogue because so many interesting things have happened to me like flying my little two-seat airplane from the solo from Jacksonville to Eugene, Oregon, and camping in a tent along the way. Uh, just a lot of fascinating things, uh, appearing at Carnegie Hall in a concert. And uh, so all of those I crammed into what is called the epilogue uh, at the end of the book. And the White Stripes story is in there. I got a call one day at uh, Mort Krim Communications, uh, and my secretary said, Jack White is on the line. And I didn't have a clue who Jack White was. So he's probably some fan from Channel 4. And, uh, but she knew and she's very excited about it. And he, he explained to me that his brother worked for, I believe it was Ron Rose Studios there in Detroit, uh, where we at the time, I, I had not yet built a studio at, at our communications company. So I would go into Ron Rose and use their studio facility to record second thoughts. So they had all these master tapes and then those master tapes would be reproduced and then the uh, duplicate tapes sent out to the radio stations around the country. And uh, this was before the Wi-Fi and all, you know, we have ways now of communicating and transmitting that didn't exist then. 
So uh, Jack White's brother, they were going to throw away a bunch of these old masters. They didn't need them anymore. And he said, well, I'll just take these home because Jack has a studio in his house and we'll use them to, to do practice recording on. And in, in the process of this, Jack heard one of my commentaries. I guess they hadn't erased it and, and he liked it. And he called me and he said, I want to build a song around that commentary. And I said, you mean the words? He said, no, I want, I want to use your voice. I want to actually use you saying it because I like the way you did it. That was the Little Acorns piece. And uh, so I said, well, let me get back to you. So I, I thought about it and I thought there's no reason to go to my agent with this. That's just going to cost me, you know, 10% of whatever we do. And, uh, so I called my son and I said, what do you think? And he said, Oh dad, he said that he's big. He's number one in England right now and growing fast in, in the U S he said, you ought to do it. So I thought, well, let's see, I've already recorded this commentary. There's no work involved. Um, I'll make him a deal for $5,000. So, uh, for some reason he jumped at it (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, we did the contract and I got $5,000. Well, then the record not only sold over a million, it went platinum. It went over 2 million, maybe up into three. And, uh, so my daughter kids me a lot. She said, you know, there's an old (laughs) saying that he who has, who uses himself as a, as a lawyer, as a fool for an attorney. And I guess the same could be said if you try to be your own talent agent. Um, I thought at the time it was a pretty good deal, but it turns out that probably could have done better. Mort, Mort as you said, you know, the, the really the younger uh, generation, um, you know, knows you from that and from Detroiters and the voice is so recognizable. Do you have where you are now? Like if you're at a grocery store, any like youngster look at you like, why do I know that voice? Not, or what, did I see this guy on TV did, that don't remember you from doing news? Has that happened to you? Uh, you know, I run into a lot of people from markets, uh, where I've been on the air Uh, that happens quite Mm -hmm. often. Somebody will say, Oh, I remember you from Philadelphia, um, uh, or from Detroit, a lot from Detroit. There are a lot of Michigan people living in Florida, as you know, or who come down here for the winter months. Um, I don't think I've had any little kids. I mean, (laughs) let's face it. Uh, there are. 40-year-olds who weren't even alive when I was at the zenith well, of my career. But so. see, Mort, I'm, I'm 45. I, you know, the TV was always on growing up in the 80s, and it was always Bonds versus Krim. Um, very different, but in my, in my head, growing up and watching the news, I'm like, oh, these two guys are they're competitors. They're battlers. And, and it's got to be a fun, kind of a fun competition because you eventually did pass him, right, in the ratings? We did. It was a long, long struggle. Uh, I, I would never take anything away from Bill. He was very good at what he did. Our styles were quite different. Um, uh, I think anyone who, who grew up in Detroit or who watched either of us or both of us on television will particularly enjoy the chapter that introduces me to Detroit, um, where it, it opens up with Bill Bond standing on a table making a speech. And uh, I'm not going to give any of that away because I want people to get the book. But uh, people ask me often, were you and Bill friends? And uh, I would say not in the in the context of being guys that hung out together. We were, we were friendly with each other. Uh, yes, we had a tough competition going, I guess, like... Uh, you know, like two quarterbacks in the NFL can be good friends and, and still get out and try to kill each other on the field. Uh, when Bill and I would meet socially, uh, which 
we rarely did, uh, except for special events like uh, banquets and fundraisers and that kind of thing, because we both worked the same hours. So uh, we weren't in a situation where we were ever going to hang out together. But I think I know, because uh, we've talked about it, we were at an old timers gathering a few years ago, shortly before Bill passed away. And we talked about that. And we and uh, we had a great respect for each other and for the success that we had each had, even though our our styles and our approach to news and our way of uh, communicating, uh, those were very different. Are you in touch with any other uh, former uh, people that you worked with? Because you worked with Ted Koppel, didn't you? Or were you tight with Ted? Uh, Ted and I were very good friends uh, in the early days when both of us were with the radio network. And uh, uh, the last time we saw each other was at Steve Bell's funeral. Both of us gave eulogies for uh, our good friend Steve. Steve was like a brother to me. Uh, Ted and I stay in touch. We exchange emails. He wrote a very nice uh, blurb for the book. Oh, there you uh, go. I think it's the number one blurb that they've got listed in the book. He and Chris Matthews and uh, David Hartman, who uh, David had the uh, ABC morning yep. uh, morning show, Good Morning America. Uh, he, I think he was the initial, the very first host of that, and uh, Steve did the news on that show. Um, yeah, Ted and I are friends, but, uh, he's, he's retired in, uh, uh, Potomac, Washington, uh, Potomac, Maryland, right outside Washington. And we stay in touch telephone and, and, uh, communicate by email, but, uh, we're not, uh, we're not buddy, buddy at this stage of our lives. Yeah, I'd, I'd love oh. to eavesdrop on that conversation. You yeah. guys both have such great pipes. I, you could, you could just start reading the ingredients on a shampoo bottle, and I'd, I'd probably not hang up because it, it would just sound so good. Uh, before we let Mort go, we want to encourage you to pick up his book, Anchored, A Journalist's Search for Truth. You can get it at brick-and-mortar bookstores. It's also available at Amazon. If you want to get it at mortcrimspeaks.com, Mort will sell, send you a copy at the cover price that is autographed, and um, and that is definitely uh, next to the Kwame Sutra, one of the greatest books available. <laughs> of course, you can get the Kwame Sutra at our website, drewandmikestore.com, but I think you probably want to check out, out Mort, Mort's book. Uh, uh, Mort, b- before we let you go, Mark's got a question, and if there's anything else uh, you'd like to, uh, to throw out there, we should give you the last word. I'm dying to ask you about the days uh, when journalism was still a, a robust, vibrant thing and, and you could do the evening news and go to the anchor and come back and do the 11 o'clock news. But I think maybe we'll invite you back another time for that because I know you have more stories than we have in this book and the stories we have in the book are, are terrific. Well, thank you. I might just add uh, to what you said. If, if you order, it, uh, order my book from mortcrimspeaks.com, that's a personal autograph. It's not just my name signed. And you can tell me when you put the order in uh, on our website how you want it signed, if you want it as a gift to somebody or if you want it to you and your spouse or however. So that is something that is available. Um, I don't know. I, I From time to time, I do think about the stories that I might have included in the book that I didn't. But uh, as you say, you're limited in the, not only attention span, but the publisher has something to say, too, about how many pages but um, I never really finished the book. And I've talked to many authors who said, you know, you don't. You don't ever finish a book because you're constantly rewriting, going back, revisiting, saying, I can say this better. I can do this differently. And so finally, you just reach a point where you stop and you send it into the publisher and you say, that's it. 
Um, I, I've gone back and read the book, and I don't think I have any real regrets about anything that I said or anything that was left unsaid. But certainly there is still an awful lot, as there would be in anyone's life, uh, that could be explored, that could be, um, could be expanded on. Um, I can't think at the moment of a particular story that I might have included that, uh, that I left out. What, uh, what do you make of the news business now where people are getting it from Facebook, they're getting it from websites, say it's just totally different from you know the heydays of three television stations. Are, are you glad you're out? or I mean, what, what's your take on the state well, of I media? I think the challenges are greater today uh, than they've ever been, certainly than they were when I was living out my career and finishing up my career. Uh, we all know that the internet has, has been a two-edged sword. I mean, it has a very plus side uh, in doing research. Uh, even when I was writing the book, there would be times I couldn't remember specific dates about something that I had covered, like traveling with President Johnson. Uh, I could go to the internet and nail down things that I remembered the stories well, but I could get the specific information. So I, I love the internet. I love Google as a research tool. Uh, I love the fact that there is good information on the internet. I regret the fact that there is also so much bad information and misinformation and outright lies that circulate on the internet. In, on the internet, so I think today every individual who is interested in knowing facts and knowing truth and being informed has got to be their own editor. They have to make some decisions about those things, uh, those sources of information that are legitimate and those that aren't. Uh, because we no longer have uh, newspaper editors and newsroom news directors and, and editors uh, acting as a filter, as a buffer against out and out lies and misinformation. Uh, it's getting through, it's getting on the internet. And so we have to assume the responsibility as consumers of information to a greater degree than ever before to be our own filters and to uh, try to penetrate through all of the noise to find those things that are legitimate, those things that are true. It's out there. There's a lot of good information out there. And I know the political divide has, uh, has caused some people to refer to some of the most legitimate news media, such as the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Christian Science Monitor. And it could go on and on as, uh, as being the, the, the mainstream media and you can't trust them. Well, that's unfortunate because, uh, yeah, the editorials uh, may, may rankle you. But these organizations are still, and, and local news organizations like the TV stations in Detroit are still working very hard to separate fact from fiction and to give people the honest scoop. So don't, don't go to MSNBC or Fox and expect to get news yeah. because you're not going to get, there may be a little bit of news that will trickle through from time to time, but that's not their agenda. Uh, MSNBC is catering to the liberal audience, the progressive audience, the Democratic audience, and Fox, conversely, is catering to Republicans and conservatives. And uh, so they, they, they know that's where the money is. And uh, so don't look to those two extreme organizations to try to find information. Go there to get your feelings massaged, you know, to, to find somebody that agrees with what you and, they, and they'll tell you how right you are. But don't go there for information because that's not where it is. 
Well, studies show us that the most trusted news source remains your local news, and uh, no one did it better than Mort Krim. And I think we've seen once again why he is a voice that we trust. The wit and wisdom of Mort Krim anchored a journalist search for truth. Please pick up a copy at your nearby bookstore. Go to Amazon, or if you would like it inscribed with a personal message that you can dictate yourself, pick up a copy at Mort Krim Speaks. That's M-O-R-T-C-R-I-M-S-P-E. E-A-K-S dot com. Uh, the, the, you, you almost messed it up. I, I, I came close. It's, uh, you it's, did well on the name. You almost stumbled on Speaks. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, Mort, I wasn't on at Channel 4 very long, and no one ever said it's the second coming of Mort Krim. They said, we're actually looking for the first going of M.L. Elric, and uh, that did come to pass. That'll be in my book, uh, as yet unpublished. But uh, we really appreciate your time. All the best of luck with the book. And... Uh, and if we didn't make Chump of the Week, perhaps uh, you'll, you'll consider coming back again sometime. The day's not over. <laughs> it is early. Well, hey, Mort. Thanks, thanks guys. Thank this you very much. We really, it's thanks, been an Mort. honor and a privilege. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. This week's Chump is my son's best friend, Tucker. If you're coming to someone's house for a sleepover, you don't get a nosebleed. That's all my stuff you bled on, Tucker. <laughs> I, miss, I miss the Detroiters. Such a, such a great show. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I miss Mort Krim. Obviously, we've had Devin on the show, and Devin's a great guy, and he actually uh, helped me a lot when I moved from the free press to, to Channel 4. But, uh, but yeah, how, how would you like to follow Mort Krim? I mean, no. <laughs> no, he's done a hell of a job, though. I'm Mort Krim, which in French means death and crime. <laughs> I, think that may be, I think that may be true. Um, how about this one? Wait. I don't normally comment on the commercials, but that commercial makes me just a little horny. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a great guy for doing those, though. Well, you know uh, what? The, the, the people who are truly confident in themselves, who know who they are, they, they, they're relaxed. They're comfortable. They can, they can do things like that. And, and uh, it just it's, – it's such a treat. Um, we were talking last week about brushes with greatness. Well, we've just had one here. But I was thinking about uh, some how we talked about how would you approach somebody to get an autograph. And I, I, I'd forgotten <laughs> that I had – gotten an autograph from Steve Eiserman after the final Detroit Red Wings game in the Montreal Forum and that was a bad experience though wasn't it uh, well he was a little standoffish but you know he he's he's, he's you know whatever but uh, anyway <laughs> um that's a yes ta- talking to Mort uh with uh with uh Jack White um I met Jack White at the soft open for Third Man Records and I went there. It was on. A, it was on Thanksgiving, and I went there, and I couldn't believe it was a plus one thing. Ben Blackwell, obviously, our friend, uh, my former neighbor, my former student, um, the impresario of Third Man Records, invited me, and it was on Thanksgiving, and I could not get anybody to go with me. And I tried to get my daughters. I was like, "Oh, which one of my daughters will want to go?" Neither one of them wanted to go. I thought, "How am I going to tell the one who doesn't get to go that she doesn't get to go?" And instead, it was up to the last minute for me to find somebody to go. And so we're kind of wandering around, and I'm just standing there by the counter, and a guy walks me and says, hey, can I say hello? And I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, you know, how's it going? You know, and, and we get a picture together, and you know, I don't watch cable. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm really bad about stuff. It's Keegan-Michael Key. And so I have a picture with Keegan-Michael Key, and later on I'm like, hey, I met this dude at this thing. You didn't it, recognize him? No, I don't watch cable. I didn't. I didn't have any of those shows. Key and Peel. I had no idea what it was. Well, plus, plus it was on. It was on after the mid '80s. So yeah, that's, that's when true you too. stopped. 
but uh, super nice, culture. super cool guy. And we did end up getting a picture with Jack White later. And he was also as nice as it can be. I know people have a notion that Jack White is standoffish. He was really, really cool. And, uh, and then they did another event when they opened the pressing plant. And I went back, and it was easier to f- for me to find a date that time. And um, I got a picture with Jack White's mother, uh, Mrs. Gillis, who is uh, an absolute sweetheart. Um, she said she was a fan of my work, obviously. Uh, oh, that's why that like was her. my post-channel forework. But no, she is uh, diminutive. And so when we got our picture taken with her, we got on our knees so that we would be like on her level. And Jack's sister came up and said, are you making fun of my mother? Are you, what are you doing? And we said, no, this is, this is an homage. We are, we are, uh, we're trying to, to get to her level and, uh, and share a moment. But she was, she was awfully cool. And uh, never asked me to go to any of those events with you. I, I Sean, think- did he ever ask you if you wanted to go to any of these events? I don't think I knew him then. <laughs> but I've been, but I've been fascinated getting to know him a little bit more, listening to him today. Yeah, I, 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 I did call Sean and say, "Hey, Sean, they had an open bar. Can you come pick me up?" But I don't think that counts as an invite. So, uh, so um, yeah. But anyways, brushes with greatness. Um, it, uh, it's a, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty cool, and uh, and it's great that Mort's been in Florida for a long time, but still very much a fabric of, of Detroit and, uh, and our news uh, community. I, I laughed when Mort mentioned the um, airport in Chicago only because <laughs> Clark has talked about that airport before. I'm like, oh, man, I wondered if Clark ever talked to him about flying. I don't know why. That would have taken for all day. So when I got to Chicago, Miggs Field was in the middle of a big tug-of-war between Mayor Daley, uh, the, the younger, Richie, mm-hmm. and the governor at the time, uh, Jim Edgar, who I think is the only Illinois governor not to go to prison from the last 20 yeah, years yeah. or so. But there was a, a tug-of-war because the city of Chicago um, uh, wanted to do something with it, and the state said, no, no, we're not going to. And, and like overnight... Uh, Richie Daly just plowed it over, mm-hmm. and and I guarantee if you've been to Chicago, you've been there now because it's where Navy Pier is, and that was Miggs Field, and uh, it was it's kind of interesting. But uh, Mort landed there, and got plowed under by Angel. That's such a weird um, story, Angel Harvey. But uh, so bizarre. Uh, need to tell you about Lady Jane's. It's time to get back into your normal routine. Let Lady Jane's help you look and feel like a king. They now have a second store in Brighton. It's on the corner of East Grand River Avenue and Whitmore Lake Road, right in front of Kroger. Let one of their talented stylists give you an award-winning haircut, invigorating shampoo, hot leather knack. Uh, knack? What's a knack? Hot it's lather like knack. It's like spakes. <laughs> it's still a good deal. Just let them shave your neck. Uh, they'll put the hot towel treatment on there, too. It's a great price. Don't procrastinate. Keep your hair looking its best. Get to Lady Jane's today. This one in particular, corner of East Grand River Avenue, Whitmore Lake Road, right in front of Kroger. It is wicked awesome. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? I, I got busted for a bad read by Mort Krim. That, that sucks, man. I, he wasn't going to say anything, but and, and, I, I pointed it out. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, I also want to point out last week... <laughs> When we were having some very deep discussions about about weighty issues, every time Sean was looking for an opinion, it was always, uh, what, "What do you think about that, Mark?" Um, 
So yeah, uh, I'm yeah. wondering, I'd like to get your views on that, Fellhauer. It's because Sean uh, knows how to watch a clock, and hey, we didn't uh, have all day for your answer. Hey, Mark, what's your take on that? It was never like, uh, hey, Mel, Wait, what, who, what do you who think? Pointed, who pointed that out to you? I was listening to the show. And, uh, oh. and believe it or not, that's part of my quality control. And every time you had a question about <laughs> a matter of import, you're always like, uh, so, Mark, what, what, what have you? Uh, what's your ponderance on that? It's just more. You, you you realize that's by design. And by the way, I'm going to have to um, get out for a Tigers game here. But I was hoping that you could <laughs> ad lib or improv or whatever you want. Adap- how about adapt? And and so we can give the li- listeners a chance to uh, hear me hear the feedback because some of it I think is directed at me and it's not very pleasant. And I want to be able to. Sit here and take it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so can, uh, can you do that before you do the yeah. Geek yeah. of the Week? We can jump out of order. Uh, Mark, what do you think about that? <laughs> of course, if that's what Sean that wants. Good. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I just, you know, it's like when you, you want to be in the room and you're getting ripped, yeah, right? Of course. We're, we're yeah, going to jump do behind ahead. your back. But I, I, I will say I was also a little, little disappointed that at no point did Mort say, you know what? I remember your time at Channel Four, and it was a mistake that they didn't fully utilize your talents. More it's just like I, but you were there. I don't know. Were you the guy mopping? I mean, it's. it's, it's I, I think the real reason Sean wants to jump forward to the feedback portion is because he saw what the geek of the week was, and it looks long. I was going to do it short. Uh, I, yeah, no, I. I, I, yeah. I really want Sean to be there for Room Seven Six or Nine because I think he has a lot to contribute this week, and we're going to miss the benefit of that. Do, do you want to do Room Seven Six or Nine real quick? No, he wants feedback? the feedback part. Okay, all right then. Sean, what, what Sean wants, Sean gets. No, no, no. I was just making a suggestion, and uh, hopefully next week I'll be back in the studio. I can. It's hard to ask questions when you're out on yeah. Zoom like this. You, you can't see. You don't want to interrupt. Yep. Well, I heard That's a lot of questions of last week. They all started with Mark. Mark. <laughs> wow. Mark. Wow. Now well, we that was when we were having the conversation. No, last week we didn't have a guest. Did we? we had more of a conversation. By the way, Mark Krim was, was great. And uh, I don't know if you guys were Krim or Bonds guys. But it was kind of fun having both of them. It was just a, a different era, right? Oh yeah. If I wanted news, I watched Mort. If I wanted, uh, if I wanted entertainment and news, I watched Bill. But we were we were a Channel Four house, so we, Mort Krim was that was our guy. That's funny. I distinctly remember my parents being a Channel Seven house for until eh, about the mid '80s, and then it was all Channel Four. I think '84 would have been the switch. Probably, uh, probably bless you boys is what switched it. Well, and and uh, and Krim really did turn this market around oh, yeah. because when he came in, Channel Four was adrift, and he he uh, he put them on yeah. the map, and they're still dominating at eleven o'clock. Let's uh, give Carmen Harlan some credit for that yeah. too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I I enjoyed watching her a lot. I thought they had good chemistry. No, they they were a fantastic team, and, and that was that was a genius pairing. And Eli Zaret and uh, Dwayne X Riley was Channel Four, right? Uh, he was indeed. X-Man. Yep. And but, uh, but Sonny Bonds. Elliott was for a minute, but uh, for more Bonds. than a minute. But, but, but Carmen is still, still here in Detroit and still contributing a lot. And also, I'll tell you from working with her, I didn't have the pleasure of working with Mort, but I did work with Carmen. And a more gracious and professional and, uh, and kind person you will be hard-pressed to find. Bonds was more of a pugilist, right? And you, when you mentioned the word inter- entertainment, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I got a phone call from him. Uh, he left a voicemail. I don't know how long ago this was. Ten years ago, and he, he used the word kiddo, and I didn't know him. He just called up the uh, free press line. You know, it's at the bottom of your stories. Yeah. and Called me kiddo, and I tried to save it and eventually lost it. Wait, was it, it a positive Does that count message? as feedback? Was it a, I was going to ask you, was it positive feedback, or is it like the ones yeah, we Yeah, no, it was almost oh, – it, uh, it was too much. It was over the top. It was a long, long – story I had done on Miguel Cabrera kind of breaking down what at that time made him one of the 
the best uh, hitters who'd ever played baseball, right? And uh, and I spent a long time in the store. It was a long story, but yeah, he it was crazy. That's cool. <laughs> and I try, but I just remember the word kiddo. That's what stood out. <laughs> that he called me kiddo. Well, now now that we've got some positive feedback from Sean, uh, of course it had to come from the grave. Let's get to the more uh, more timely uh, feedback, which I you know yeah. I. I only see one thing in here that's critical of Sean. Everything else seems to be fairly positive, but but let's let's get to it. Let's get right to it. Headix 13 gave the show a five-star rating along with these observations. Great show. Mark's intros are incredible. I happen to agree. The banter between them all is hilarious. Six stars, if possible. So that's, pretty, that's pretty nice. ME93482 gives us three stars and this destructive criticism. Sean is a tool. Around the 17-minute mark, you guys are talking about The Rock and whether he should run for president. It's mentioned he doesn't know politics or something like that. Sean shockingly had to make a Trump comment. Get over it, Sean! But Trump, Trump. I'm five-eighths for Trump. Blah, blah. So that sounds a little bit like uh, Jan Brady to me. But uh, Dan shares... My mother well, once did, said that as a politician. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let Sean oh, re- reply oh, to that. He's did, hanging around. Did, did he? Did he have a? Was there a name with that that listener? Yeah, Me nine three four eight two. But no actual name. Okay. That's it. Those initials Me may stick out in some people's minds. I mean, your point that you made last week was factually correct in that Trump wasn't a politician when he ran. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily trying to rip rip Trump. I mean, I mean, it's easy enough to do that. Uh, Mr. Anonymous, <laughs> what was it? In five Y, whatever airplane tail name you gave yourself. But you you wrote it down. Don't pretend you. I don't know what his name was. Yeah, it's no, no, no. I I, I don't have it. You're already trying you know to that, think of how to identify him. You're like it's a tail number. You you're scanning the dark web right now. <laughs> I'm just like Mark. I love planes, and I've had them on my mind since Mort Krim was talking about flying in that little strip on Lake Michigan, right next to Old Soldier Field. Right, it was close to it, didn't it? Kind of right there. Uh, that the no, it's a little further no, north. It's it's, way, it's, it's north, north of downtown. Yeah, it's northwest. But mm-hmm. uh, but let's get back to uh, me nine three four eight two. I'm a tool. Yes, I I, I don't, I'm <laughs> trying not to be a tool. I'm sorry. Maybe occasionally I can be. Um, I don't mean to be. But uh, thanks for calling me out. Me nine three four eight two. If you see any strange cars in your driveway, if you get a lot of hang up calls, if perhaps there are bumps in the night. Just reach out to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. We'll save this tape in case you need it for the, uh, the personal protection order. But uh, just, you know, sleep with one eye open. Uh, Dan Shears. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. That's, uh, that's nice for you to intimate that I'm some kind of a creeper. Wow. Look, in any 5XY2, it, we probably have a lot of things in common, right? Well, yeah, you're sure both alive. You yeah, both hate, we, you both we, hate we Sean. We want a lot of the same things, you know. We probably both like Cheetos. I don't know. Maybe he likes hot flaming Cheetos, and I like regular Cheetos. I don't know, but I'm sure there's a lot in common we could find. You like hot flaming liberal Cheetos. You love cancel culture chips. You like. He's not, uh, even, he's not even responding. Now. Woke Doritos. Yeah, no, no, no. That's true. Those are the ones that have <laughs> those are the ones who have no flavor whatsoever because they don't want to they don't want to stimulate anybody. <sighs> Moving on. Yes? Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dan shares. My mother once said that as a politician there are times when you have to kiss ass but the smart politician knows that you shouldn't acquire a taste for it. Good luck. 
which is going to be a beautiful segue into the next part of the show. But we, you know, we've we've thrown it. In we the can garbage. skip Geek of the no, Week. No, no, no we got to do Geek of the Week. It's going to take twenty five minutes. No, it's great. We'll go fast. We'll go fast. I promise. I won't interject. We'll go fast. Did anybody get the tail number on that plane? Was it? Uh... Sean's okay. already tracking it down. Do we need to reset the uh, sounder for that or no? No, we don't. Man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? Bye, Sean. Now, now that Sean's Bye, Mark. Bye, Mikey. Now that Sean's gone, we can talk about him. Um, Bye, uh... Congratulations, by the way, on your announcement, Mike. That was very cool. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. We'll we'll have, I think, the video up at ML4Detroit. That's ML4Detroit.com. You'll also notice uh, links to get involved with the campaign if you'd like to volunteer or if you'd like to somehow help us um, or if you'd like to donate. There's a donate button there, too. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take your money, we'll take your feedback, and hopefully what you'll get in return is good government. So uh, that's, that's our goal. Um, so, I, Geek of the Week, you know, QAnon's been out there making imaginary things about child uh, sex rings and stuff like that that are just completely not based in fact. Well, now we have an allegation that there may be a guy who's involved in a child sex ring and certainly that one of his good buddies uh, has been charged with crimes for being involved in, uh, in young people's sex ring. And QAnon... QAnon is silent, but uh, I got to tell you, no, they support him actually. The, yeah, the Matt Gates news. I every day I look for that because he's just he's just such a lightning rod, and it looks like he has finally gotten uh, a million kilojoules blowing right through his corpus, and, and we'll see how long he hangs on. But our real uh, geek of the week is major corporations, and I'll tell you why, folks. Fossil fuel companies have received billions of dollars in tax benefits from the U.S. government as part of coronavirus relief measures only to lay off tens of thousands of their workers during the pandemic. And that's according to The Guardian. They find that 77 firms involved in the extraction of oil, gas, and coal received $8.2 billion under tax code changes that formed part of a major pandemic stimulus bill passed by Congress last year. And what did they do? They laid people off. Five of the companies got benefits from the Paycheck Protection Program, which was supposed to save jobs. They got $30 million. Despite this, almost every one of the fossil fuel companies laid off workers, with more than 58,000 people losing their jobs since the onset of the pandemic, or around 16% of their workforce is outrageous. And if that's not bad enough, oh, if that's not bad enough, the Washington Post reports that 55 of the nation's largest corporations paid no federal income tax on more than $40 billion in profits last year. And that's according to an analysis by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, which is, as you may have guessed, a progressive think tank. These companies received a combined federal rebate. In other words, they didn't pay taxes. They got money back. They had a combined, excuse me, combined federal rebate of more than $3 billion, which made their tax rate a negative 9%. Yes, they didn't pay taxes. On average, they got 9% back. Got it back. So these findings underscore the favorable tax environment for big businesses in the wake of the 2017 tax cuts, which now seem to be uh, in jeopardy with the new administration. But 26 corporations paid no federal income taxes since 20. 17. Some of those companies you know, Nike, FedEx, 
the Dish Network, combined the 26 companies booked more than $77 billion in profits since 2018 while receiving $5 billion in rebates for an effective three-year tax rate of negative. In other words, we gave them money 6%. So Think of those dividends you could get back, though. Well, and I'm a shareholder, but you know what? Uh, I, uh, okay, okay, never mind. I said I wouldn't. I said I wouldn't comment. No, no, go, go, please, please. I mean, that's just that's just being a corporation. That's being a bad. Why not be mad at the tax code and the people that made the tax code? Now, granted, they're lobbyists and firms that kind of push them to do what they want them to do, but. Well, I I don't like that they were let off the hook like that. In fact, I thought some of these corporate loopholes were so supposed to be closed sure. during the last administration. But they're open. I also so thought that take pharma- of pharmaceutical them. prices were supposed to be going down, and I just well, just, excuse me, I, I just, just saw that there was some uh, some out the door changes that were supposed to help pharmaceutical companies charge us a shitload more money. Here, here's the bottom line: the, the week should be the federal tax code, not the companies for taking advantage of it. Okay, so if I leave here today and my wallet is sitting here. You are probably within your right to take my wallet because I left it there. Shame on me for leaving it there. Would you take it or would you that's call me and tot- say, hey, come back and get your wallet? That's totally different. I don't think so. I think the fact Do I have people can- um, that I'm supposed to pay dividends out that are investing in me to find your wallet? Well, when all you're doing I is- I don't like that analogy. I think it's a bad analogy. That may not be a great analogy, but here's the deal. Corporations, <laughs> yes. you're bad corporate citizens. When you do bad, we do bad. We should all do good. We should all do our share. We don't have to pay every cent in taxes that we possibly can, like my man Sean Windsor might advocate. <laughs> but uh, when you take advantage of a situation that ultimately is not in the best interest of society, in the long term, it's not in your best interest. So now not only are you greedy, you're stupid. And that's why I don't like you corporations, major, greedy, reverse tax corporations. I said I'd keep it short, so let me just bring it down to this. You're our Geeks of the Week. See you again. There's an all-night party in room 7609. And you can dance together all night if you've got the time. Corporations trying to save a lot of money by being a little sketchy. Not cool. You, homeowners, your friends and neighbors, trying to save money by refinancing. Very cool. I mean, like sub-zero. Like like (laughs) dry ice. And you can save that money thanks to our sponsor, Hall Financial. They're a great support of all the shows on the Red Shovel Network, along with Luke Nowacki. Rates are currently in the twos, but... You know, we're thinking they might start to creep up. So call today and find out how much a refi could save you every month. When you refi, there's some paperwork that goes through. So you're going to make some immediate savings off the top because you get to skip a couple payments. But the real savings, the long game, is when you lower those rates and you pay less every month on your mortgage. Just click on our website to find David Hall's website. Or you can call 248-308-5000. That's 248 248- Three zero eight five thousand, and you make sure to call Dave, or call Dan, or call Bill, or call James Bentley, and you let them know that your old pal M L Elric sent you. Hey, MLS one four six seven four three five. And um, with all that money you can save, you can call our other friend Luke Nowacki. Put it to work. Aforementioned, aforementioned, aforementioned. What's the 
proper uh, pronunciation. Wait, of that. Where's Mort in our hour of need? <laughs> Luke Nowagi. He's still like that guy was at Channel Four. I can't believe that. Well, the standards really. <laughs> well, I really stuck with you, huh? That's that was your takeaway from Mort is that he didn't know you. Um, I might be in that epilogue. I, I didn't get that far. I'll have to check. Uh, Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Well, 248-663-4748. He's our financial guy. He knows all about stocks and bonds, 401ks, 529s, anything with numbers in it that has to do with money. He's going to get you a strategy. He's going to give you plenty of good advice. It's Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. And he knows all about you and will make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names. Products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. It's a long intro. Go ahead and walk it up, my man. In honor of our special Mort Krim production piece and the heyday of TV news, we're making an exception Room 7609 and welcoming the Bee Gees. With tragedy. <laughs> Did I mention tragedy? Is the song? <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Now.
I don't think that's new wave at all. Well, you know, so here's the here's the thing. I I I. I love the little thing that we whipped together for, for the Mort Krim talk show. I, I like the BJs. They're one of my guilty pleasures, too. Um, I and, think there are a lot of people's guilty pleasures. They never will admit. Oh, for sure. And, and I knew, I know how much Sean likes them, and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to find a way to shoehorn the Bee Gees into the show. Uh, Sean be orgiastic talking about the Bee Gees documentary, and you know they're not really Australian or British. They're from the Isle of Wight, which is part of the UK, but it's kind of its own, like Gibraltar Principality, you know, or Monaco if you're in France, and them parts of the Mediterranean. And then he would go on with all these great stories he got from the documentary, and and he he he, he bugged out. More important things to do. He wanted to hear people be mad at him before he could get to uh, before he could get to <laughs> the, the Tigers game. To the, I mean, it's not, they don't play that many games in a year, so. Yeah, no, it's Can't just only them. 81 at home. But but the thing about the Bee Gees, where I'm going to make a case for them being uh, relevant in the new wave suite, is dance band, great rhythm section, uh, all the kind of uh, songs that you would get in new wave. They were, is, yes, they were okay. disco. But, is disco but, a precursor to new wave? Sure, I think ways, in, in yeah. the same way that punk is. It's sort of, sure, in fact, you could almost say it's an amalgam of yeah. yeah, of punk and disco, where you take, you take, uh, you take a lot of uh, of of uh, romance, uh, you take a lot of political commentary, cocaine. You throw some sweet ass beats in there, and you've got new wave music. So, so really, this was our tribute to Sean as much as it was to uh, to Mort Crim, <laughs> and now they're both gone. But at least one of them. Has a good book. I was reading about it and how they made the sound effect for the explosion. This is really high tech. Barry put his hands over the microphone and went. Of course, it would be Barry. I'm sure Robin's like, "How's this, Barry?" <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> but I guess I guess uh, Barry did it like a bunch of times. Just, <laughs> they just layer it over. So, Sometimes the simplest things in sound will sound the best. It's amazing how he can sustain those notes you know but i and i i love the sound but maybe i'm just not um comfortable enough with my own masculinity or identity as a a a, a true um he man but if somebody (laughs) said you can make a million dollars if you sing through your nose I might be like, well, I'm doing pretty good now, but I don't, I mean, it's just, it's such a, the whole falsetto thing is so weird to say, if you sing in this sort of fakey nasal way, you'll be a big success, but they were, I mean, it was pretty well, cool. Well, I feel like when you think of the Bee Gees, that's the first thing you think of, and then kind of what gets buried and missed is how good Barry Gibb actually was at writing lyrics and the music and the production of it because they are really well produced i mean that come on the proof's in the pudding and how well they did oh yeah sometimes the singing's a little a little weird but well robin always seemed a little sad you know yeah sort of like the the you know maurice was just kind of you know it's cool man i don't really need i don't really need to have the big hair and the medallions and the shirt unbuttoned down to my waist although i think he still did but then Robin was always seemed sort of like uh, the guy trying to run to catch up with the bus. You know, it's like, wait for me, I'm coming, I'm right down the street behind you. They're all dead, right? Except for Barry. Morris, Barry. Morris is yeah. dead. And, Maurice um, died. And of course, Andy is dead. Andy was first to go, the young one, the baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, I have uh, a heart attack, not a broken heart. 
Yeah, too Olivia much cocaine. John, man. No, it was um, Victoria Principal. Oh, okay. Tom Masley still maintains he died from broken heart, not too much cocaine. So if 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 Olivia Newton John split up with me, which of course would never happen because how could she? No, because she wouldn't even spit on me if I was burning. That would ruin me. But Victoria Principal, that would devastate me. That is wow. She Victoria Principal. Oh, so you so you're agreeing with Tom Masley? I'm with Maz on this one. What? Victoria Principal. Yeah. Wow. So he died of a broken heart. Not think, too much cocaine. I think I only watched Dallas for Victoria Principal and Charlene Tilton. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that Andy Gibb died because he also did a lot of cocaine. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have done cocaine. No. He also died of another uh, thing. Did you know that? Uh, I don't know that, but I'm, I'm not sure that I want to know that. But. He died of this. Now, there was a fourth Gibb brother, Andy Gibb, who had a solo singing career. He died of heart failure at the age of 30. Robin Gibb was 62. So, yeah, he died of fart failure. Oh. The, new, the news never lies. So gastrointestinal disorder. I thought I heard that originally. Probably from too much cocaine. Oh, I said, well, it's, uh, it's a hell of a drug. That's what, I, that's what I understood. So anyways, we would love to have your nominations for Room 7609. Again, we're looking for great new wave bands that never quite got the attention they deserved or new wave bands who had tons of hits and some hidden gems. And you can send those along with your correspondence and your feedback and uh, your, uh, your uh, you know, secret H- bank accounts, ATM uh, access codes to ml soul of detroit at gmail.com you can also call us this is true it, it, there's very little evidence that, that that people do do this but if you ever felt the need to push those buttons you could leave a voicemail message for us at butterfield 89070 that's 313-288-9070 um uh, we do not have any donors to thank this week which is is a shame but we had a pretty generous week the week before very uh, kind if 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 this is a cyclical thing and one lean week is going to lead to one fat week, how do people decide to be a part of the uh, the big Mardi Gras? It would be at uh, mlsoulofdetroit.com. Little donate button right on the top of the bar there. Yeah, and of Very course, simple. the best way you can support this show is by contacting our sponsors. Let them know yeah. that you heard about yeah, them through us. And maybe do some business. If, if, we're, if we're telling you about them, it's because we've, we've had some dealings with them and found them to be... Very trustworthy, very satisfactory, and uh, and you know we wouldn't put our name with theirs if um, if we didn't believe in them. So please support Roy O'Brien Ford, Luke Nowacki, David Hall Financial, uh, Lady Jane's, and of course uh, Altus when they're here, and, and some other good folks too. Mm-hmm. So um, ba, 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 what else? Oh, merchandise, uh, hoodies, long sleeve T shirts, beanies on the website. We got these. Groovy clocks, these neon clocks, mask, gators, keychains, T-shirts, hockey jerseys, stickers. And uh, you know what would make a great companion piece what? to your Mort Krim book? Uh, an autographed Kwame Sutra. Now, being a big star, I don't need to personalize the messages like Mort Krim. Mine already have smart-ass messages that, uh, that uh, aren't personalized but are nevertheless... Uh, heartfelt and, it's a and nice little. Uh, it's a nice book to carry around too. It's very small, and you put it in your bathroom. It's a good bathroom book. It oh, is that's not a compliment. That's it makes, not a... it makes a great coaster, and of course, uh, it'll prop up any uh, lopsided table. We just so. need to get them out of your basement. Is that what you're saying? Uh, we need to get them out of Joe Morasso's garage. Okay, so fair Joe, enough. Joe said he's like, you know, this, you still think this book's a good thing? I said it works for Krim. <laughs> I mean, Mort has a lot more than just this book. 
I guess he, yeah, well, that's so. But this is his definitive book, so yeah, he's great. Enough for the, this crim guy. I'm waiting um, for that Windsor book. Oh, wow. Yes. I think, uh, I think that's going to be a real page turner. Um, uh, big news yesterday. I was pleased to be on the Drew and Mike show talking about my campaign kickoff. If you uh, wouldn't mind following us on social media, our handle is ML number four Detroit. We have a website, ml4detroit.com. If you missed the kickoff, we did pretty good with media coverage. Not only mm-hmm. Drew and Mike, but we were on Channel 4, uh, excuse me, Channel 2 on Fox 2, uh, WDET, WWJ. We had write-ups in the free press and in the Saw news. That, yeah. and, uh, and I believe if it's not there now, very shortly, we will have a replay of my campaign kickoff speech, which is about five and a half minutes long, not at all Clinton-esque. Uh, kind of short and to the point, and um, and uh, you know, hopefully worth listening to. Um, and if you would care to donate to support that campaign, you can go to ml number four detroit dot com and make a donation to my political campaign and help me bring honest change back to Detroit City Hall. Bravo! So uh, it's going good though. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, so so we have a, an outstanding team of people who make events like that happen they know how to do things that never even occurred to me let alone know how to do them and so it was very strange to be in the middle of that Teresa and I got married in Edinburgh Scotland we left and at the last minute we invited a couple of friends of mine in England to come and be witnesses but um, one of the reasons we did that was because I couldn't I just couldn't stand or be able to kick cope with the idea of planning a wedding and even if i was able to do that and just turn it over to trees and say you know whatever you want to do make it the typical coronation that these things tend to be i would have been deathly uncomfortable being the center of attention for something like that and to stand up in front of all those people and to just be you know the focus of an event like that that kind of stuff makes me incredibly uncomfortable it's not a natural place for me to be I'm, i'm happy to be seen doing something, but to just kind of be uh, part of a ceremonial thing is not not uh, not my uh, my comfort zone. So yesterday was very strange to sort of be the groom at my own civil union with to myself. Yourself. Yeah. So yes, that's now that you mention it, I probably should have eloped then too. But uh, but no, it went off okay. It, it consummated well before the event too. Well, you know, you kind of like to know what you're buying. You get the test drive before you uh, <laughs> before you sign that deal at at royalbryan.com. But I, um, you know, we did, the forecast was supposed to be beautiful. Then there was a little chance of rain. Then we had a little rain. Then the rain stopped when it was supposed to stop. And then when we got going, the sun actually came out. So it was pretty. It's a message. It was pretty wild. So yeah. So I mean, I, you know, you don't really have to vote for me. I'm not saying that. That a higher power thinks that you should, but you know, do you want to take that chance? I guess that's all. <laughs> it's back to Pascal's way. Pascal, Pascal, there you go. Mort was fascinating with uh, his views on faith, and uh, for a preacher's son, very, uh, very, um, very um, honest, secular about it. Oh yeah, you know? no, that's that's. Yeah. And I don't know how much we dove into that, but he wrote to Paul Harvey when he was a kid. He's like, look, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do. Oh, so that's how they connected? Yeah, when he was, I want to say was a teenager. Oh, wow. And, and Harvey said, I can't help you with that. But, and he added some other stuff too. But he's saying, hey, what about journalism? What about broadcasting? If you have that much integrity. 
That's pretty cool. And yeah, if, no, and if you don't worship God, you'll burn in hell, and that's the rest of the story. And then yeah, well, like, oh boy. Then you fast forward a bunch of years. His wife got mad. Yeah, Angel. Boy, that gig must have been. Uh, <laughs> but it sounds like they kept paying him, right? Because they let him serve out the contract. So yeah, but Paul know. Paul Harvey missed out on a vacation. Boy, that angel. She must have been. Uh, she yeah. must have been. Hell. No angel. Yeah. She must have been hell behind the scenes. Anyway, uh, that's it for our show this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please subscribe and share. Uh, please find us on Facebook at ML No Periods Elric on Twitter at Elric. Um, like the show, share the show, subscribe to the show, uh, like our social media, share our social media, all that other yang. And if that leaves you a little bit of spare time, perhaps you could tune in to the Drew and Mike podcast every day. It's worth your time. It's, it's the Mac Daddy of podcasts. And then uh, that, that crazy Charlie LaDuff fella does a, a pretty good thing. He's got somebody uh, trying to, uh, trying to uh, keep an eye on him on Fridays, a guy named Fel Hauer. So check out the No BS News Hour with Charlie LaDuff, all part of your Red Shovel Network. And coming up in a future show... We will have the guy who shot Cyrus. But before Cyrus, before Cyrus got shot, he had enough breath left to take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? M.L. Elric. Mark Bellhauer. Sean Windsor. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Sword of Detroit is. You have to see it for yourself.